I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Good morning and welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal 1, Brentford 1 in the Premier League, a frustrating afternoon in the end uh, for the Gunners. And it became, I think, even more frustrating when many of us returned home from the game and found that actually the VAR had missed a really important phase of play. Um, and a really important off-cycle that would have completely altered the outcome of the game. People will say, I'm moaning. People will say, this is sour grapes. People will say, Arsenal weren't good enough. You didn't deserve to win the game. And I think a lot of that is true. You know, we'll we'll come into all of that. We're going to get right stuck into this today. We're going to talk about the off-cycle. We're going to talk about Arsenal's performance. We're going to do a little bit of a tactical analysis. Have Arsenal been found out? by the rest of the Premier League uh, in terms of the way they like to attack and the spaces that they like to uh, utilise. Have teams worked out how to stop it? Maybe there's an element of truth in that as well. Look, we'll, we'll get into all of that and we'll take lots of your questions and thoughts uh, from the comments all the way through. Disclaimer, again, uh, as you've heard over the last few episodes, my throat is an absolute mess. So if I have to mute for a second to cough, it's going to happen. Um, how I got through the game yesterday uh, for BBC Radio London, I do not know. When I woke up in the morning yesterday, I could hardly speak, like barely, like couldn't get a sound out. Um, and I sort of thought, shit, what am I going to do? Like, I can't let them down. You know, I'm I'm booked in to go and cover this game. And obviously it's an Arsenal game and I really, really want to do it. And yeah, so I went to the chemist and I bought two products, right? I highly recommend these products. One of them it's called Vocal Zone, which is like a lozenger type thing uh, that you, it's like a throat sweet, but it's medicated and it's brilliant. Um, and the other thing was this uh, spray called Diflam spray, which you spray into your throat and it kind of deals with the inflammation. Those two things really helped me get through the game. But when I came home last night, I hardly could speak again. I, I feel a bit better this morning. Um which is why we delayed the podcast. So first and foremost, I want to apologize for the fact that this wasn't available to you last night. Uh, but I figured I'd just make a mess of it. Um, I'd just be sitting there coughing all the way through. So it was better to leave it until today. And here we are. Let's say a few hellos then uh, before we dive into it. I can see there's around about 100 of you with us already. We've only been running for a couple of minutes. So please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. Uh, big hello to Name, uh, to Alex, to Temi, to Henry, to Arthur, to Johan, to Bradley. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Matt is with us. Uh, Matt says, I had made peace with the fact we didn't play well and drop points, but then you hear about the VAR decision and I'm so angry. That's kind of how I feel as well. You know, obviously from the first ball into the penalty area, Ethan Pinnock is in an offside position. That's clear. And so then the question becomes, as Thomas Frank, I think, rightly put it in his press conference, I thought he, he summed it up quite well at that stage, given that we didn't know about the, the second offside. He said, look, then the question is, was Ethan Pinnock interfering with play? Now, obviously, Mikel Arteta post-match argued that he was, that he was blocking Gabriel. And I think I agree with Mikel Arteta on that. But when it's a subjective decision like that, you know, has he interfered? It's not a black or white answer. You know, you... 
you can kind of accept those decisions because those things are left open to individual interpretation. Sometimes they'll go your way. Sometimes they don't. I'm a fair person like that. It might anger me and frustrate me at the time and in the aftermath, but I am quite fair in that I can see sometimes that decisions are 50-50 and that you can make a case both ways. And I'm normally okay with accepting those. What I'm not okay with accepting is clear offsides. What I'm not okay with accepting in the day of v, in the days of VAR, in the age of VAR, is incompetence to the level that Lee Mason showed yesterday. Now, I'm not someone who likes to sit here and go after individuals. Um, I feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit uneasy in doing that. But Lee Mason, you know, gets away with murder season after season after season. And how that guy is still on the Premier League's roster of referees is truly baffling because, you know, I'm just sort of doing a quick search this morning. I came up with five or six different Premier League managers over the years having a go at Lee Mason specifically. And that's not something that happens every week. You know, you, you get managers complaining about refereeing calls. Of course you do. It's part and parcel of the game. It's part of the psychological warfare that managers often engage in. But to actually like sit there and say, this guy and name him is not good enough and shouldn't be anywhere near the Premier League. That doesn't happen to every referee. But I can tell you this, it's happened to Lee Mason on numerous occasions. And yesterday was another prime example of why that guy should be nowhere near the Premier League. You can talk about this being the best league in the world. You can call it the most entertaining league in the world. You can say that there's the highest standard of player plays here in the Premier League. You can make all of those arguments in all of those cases. But what you can't make the case for is the standard of officiating because it is poor. And as far as I'm concerned, this product that is the Premier League will never be the finished article until that improves. Some people say, oh, but the controversy is good. Neutrals say that because they've never been on the receiving end of a decision like the one we were on the receiving end of yesterday. And the other thing is, you know, there's been a lot of debate. Well, you know, maybe Lee Mason spent so long looking at the first thing that he kind of ran out of time. Uh, and then as a result of that, didn't look at the second incident. Hold on a minute. Ran out of time. Who's put a time limit on him? I think there's a problem in football where, you know, people have sat there and moaned for so long about how long the VAR takes that now maybe there is an element of referees feeling under pressure to come up with a decision and to come up with one quickly. I am happy to wait an extra five minutes. As long as that time gets added on, I'm happy to wait an extra five minutes if it means getting to the correct outcome. Because that five minutes of my life is five minutes. I'm sitting here on Sunday morning, angered and upset by a decision. I'm going to be thinking about it all weekend, probably all week. Probably even more so if we get beaten by Manchester City on Wednesday. And come the end of the Premier League season, if we miss out by a couple of points, then that is something that is going to linger for a long, long time. That feeling um, is going to live on for a while. So I would swap that for five minutes of my time. And this is not just about Arsenal, right? This is not you know, just because it was Arsenal on the receiving end. I'd say this in all football, right? The the first point of call when bringing in VAR was to increase the number of correct decisions. So you increase that. 
once you get to a point where you're at near perfection, and again, I agree that you'll never achieve perfection because there are so many subjective decisions. But once you raise the standards of the decision making, then you work on the process, then you work on doing it as quickly as possible. And as you learn and as you understand the system more and more as an official, you'll know what things to look for first. You'll cut out steps in the process, in the procedure, and you'll get to an answer quickly. But as Steve says, I can never forgive VAR for making wrong decisions like that, ever. Offside is not up for debate. Interfering with play is up for debate to an extent and to a degree, and I accept that and I understand that and I'm okay with that. But when it comes to the, the second incident, when I think it was Christian Norgard, there's no debate around that. Let me just share with you guys the tweet that I put out last night. Now, again, I went to the match. I covered the match. Um, I was in the press conferences after the match. I spoke um, or, or heard from both of the managers. And there was obviously this thing going on about the offside. Mikel Arteta had come into his press conference and said straight away it was offside. Thomas Frank, when he came into the room, his first question or the first question put to him was, you know, was it offside? Mikel Arteta says it was offside. And he says, yeah, I agree that Ethan Pinnock was offside. And then the debate is around whether he was interfering with play or not. So nobody even looked at the second one. So for this to then come out later, I think makes it even more annoying. You can understand the manager's not getting it. But the VAR, the referee, has obviously missed this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mad. And the other thing as well that you can discuss, and, and Jean-René brings this up, and I think this is a good point as well. He says, Harry, I just popped in. Was it even a foul? For me, it was a foul on Saliba. VAR should intervene here. So the VAR can't intervene for a free kick being awarded. Um, You know, in that instance, obviously the goal comes from it. It's a bit different, but... I look Saliba's got two hands on him. Ivan Tony's doing plenty of that as well. But that's the type of decision that I was just sort of referring to a couple of minutes ago, where it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I can disagree, but I can also accept it and I can move past it. What I can't move past is someone being clearly offside uh, and influencing the game clearly in the way that Christian Norgard did when he puts the ball across the face of the goal for Ivan Tony uh, to knock it in. Let me bring up the um, the tweet that I put out last night. And, and I took this screenshot off of my TV when I was watching uh, Match of the Day last night because it angered me so much. I'm not one of these guys that sits there with his phone taking pictures from Match of the Day, but my God, I had to yesterday. And my tweet simply said, how hasn't the VAR checked this? Arteta has every right to feel aggrieved by that decision. Credit to Brentford for a strong performance. I'm not taking anything away from them, but this is not acceptable in the age of VAR. We'll come on to Brentford in a minute and we'll come on to the performance and we'll come on to the, the way the actual game played out outside of this. But when you look at that, this is a clear and obvious decision that the officials have missed. And if Arsenal are made to pay for this in terms of their league position, I'll be furious, I'll be livid, I'll be upset. It will be a bitter pill to swallow. But you know what? It's like, look, this is a completely random different example. If you walk down the street and you get attacked, okay? Let's say for argument's sake, touch wood, it doesn't happen to any of you. But if it does, if you walk down the street and you get attacked and, you know, you, you get punched in the face, right? 
you're still going to have the bruise. You're still going to have the black eye. You're still going to be traumatized by, um, you know, the event. You're still going to be wary going forward because of the event. You're still going to be impacted in the longer term. Okay. Whether the person gets caught or not, but when the poor person gets caught or is held accountable for their actions, there's a sense of closure that comes with that. Okay. But in football, it's different because that closure, we're not going to get that now until the end of the season, depending on how it goes. We're not going to be able to move past this during this title race at any point. So this has a long lasting effect mentally on the team and nobody is holding Lee Mason accountable. I saw a piece uh, earlier on. I think it was Gunner blog uh, that put it out. Uh, well, let me find it. Hold on. Just search for it. Uh, Gunner blog from The Athletic put this out earlier on. Uh, he says, uh, PGMOL accept uh, that Lee Mason did not fully investigate the Norgard offside by drawing lines, which is the usual process. And let's be clear as well, this isn't just about Arsenal. Brighton were on the receiving end of a stupid decision as well, where the VAR had drawn the lines on the wrong bloody player. I mean, talk about incompetence. Add to that that Thomas Suchek made a match-winning flipping save uh, down to his left-hand side with his arm for West Ham against Chelsea. This is a league-wide problem. This is not just Arsenal fans, um, you know, being bitter. This is not Arsenal fans, you know, allowing their tribalism to get in the way of what's sensible and what's reasonable. This is a, a problem in this division that we have had for years and years and years. And VAR was supposed to come in and fix this. The technology was supposed to help us get to the correct decisions more often. And it can do that if you have competent officials. But having the same incompetent officials means that the progress we've made with VAR is minimal and it shouldn't have been minimal. You know, people keep saying, well, there's no league where the refereeing is perfect. No, that's correct. There's no league where every single punter, if you like, feels that the officiating is perfect. And why? Because as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of decisions in football that are subjective. And so you're always going to get disagreements. And that is part and parcel of the game. But things like offsides, black or white, need to be correct. And this call was horrendous. It's enough about VAR because I'm just going to wind myself up. I don't want to spoil my Sunday by like really kind of talking about these guys. But I'll finish off by saying, if this comes back to cause us a problem, if this comes back to cost us, serious questions need to be asked. Serious questions need to be asked anyway. But I want everybody to apply the pressure on the Premier League because you're killing the quality of the football, you're killing the product, and in a lot of cases, you're killing people's love for this sport and love for this game. Whether it takes an extra two, three minutes, for me personally, is neither here nor there. Now, I know I had a good debate on Twitter with somebody earlier today who said, look, I'm a match-going fan. I don't want to be standing in the stands for five, six minutes not knowing what's going on. This is the type of decision that should be taken within 10 seconds. And in principle, in theory, I agree. This is a decision that should be taken very, very quickly and should be confirmed very, very quickly. But the reality is that it, that's not the case because it's taken them five or so minutes and they still haven't got this right. But as I say, I would swap my time for the correct outcome because I think when you're on the 
wrong end of a bad outcome or the wrong outcome that can live on and that can linger and that can manifest for a long, long time within your team. And, and I don't want that. You know, I don't want that. I, there's a part of me that doesn't want Arsenal to cut sort of, you know, to sort of come away from this game, blaming it solely on the VAR, because I think that makes us complacent to the things that we can do better as a team. And there are plenty. We're going to get into that. But at the same time, do you want to kill the confidence of a young group of lads or really sort of make them feel down in the dumps or allow them to feel down in the dumps about the result when actually the result would have been very, very different had the VAR uh, been good enough to make the correct call. It's it's really difficult, isn't it? Um, and this is where Mikel Arteta has a challenge as a manager. Now, some people said to me as soon as the game ended, when, um, when Mikel Arteta came out and was very strong in his stance on the offside, that Mikel Arteta was a disgrace. He was out of order, that he was complaining, that he needed to wind it in. And those people have been forced to eat humble pie because Mikel Arteta was proven right. Okay, he was referring to the first one, but he was still right in the sense of the goal should not have been um, allowed. And, you know, now he's got a job to do to kind of manage the feeling of injustice within the camp, but also the fact that Arsenal as a team didn't really play all that well yesterday and need to improve in certain aspects of their game. And look, we'll come on to that stuff in a minute, but just to kind of finish off on the offside thing, um, let me know your thoughts. I'll take a few of your comments, a few of your questions. If I could just ask why you're getting them in the chat box, uh, please do leave a like on the video. We've got a fair few of you with us, but only 66 likes on the board. Let's try and get that up to uh, 150 ASAP and then we'll push for the next target, hopefully. Um, Obradek says, we don't just have to accept it. We have to make our voices heard. Agree with you. Um, but the only way people can make their voices heard is by, or the only way people can have an impact is by, you know, not, not giving the product the love it deserves. And the problem is here is that football has us all by the balls because we all love it. We're all so deeply invested in our clubs and in our teams and, and in this game that we all love, it, it, it's really difficult to move away from it. But that's the only way. It's, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Dave Atkinson says, uh, this is the same VAR man as the away game against Man United. He could have cost us five points. Again, though, Dave, I know I was upset about it at the time. The, the decision uh, against Man United, the, the Odegaard foul. But again, with that one, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can live with it because there is a subjective nature to that debate. That is a decision that you can argue one way or the other. And it is the type of decision that had it been the other way around, we probably would have been asking for the free kick as well. So again, I'm not accepting it. I'm not happy with that. But there's a part of me that understands that one you know, that understands that that one was up for debate and the decision reached in the end was not the one that we wanted. But there was a case for it being given the other way, at least a case. This time around, though, offside is black or white. And at the bare minimum, VAR should have been able to, um, you know, answer these queries, the offside ones. These are the problems for me because there, there is no, there is no conversation to be had. You're off or you're on. And he was clearly off 
Norgard was clearly off. Um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Daniel says, I don't get why it's so hard. They clearly are not educated enough to do the job. Objective decisions should be easy to make. You don't need to know what football is to implement an objective rule. Agreed. Um, agreed. Uh, Matt says, fans need to call out all bad VAR decisions, not just the ones that impact our team. Agreed. I've called out a couple already this weekend and I haven't even finished watching all of Match of the Day yet. Um, but yeah, the one that Chelsea were on the receiving end of was horrendous. The Brighton one was really poor as well. So three times in one day of Premier League action. Come on, man. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Mohamed says it's not the first time it's happened to us and not the last. Martinelli's uh, clean goal was disallowed versus Man United early in the season and much more. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Uh, Matt says Lee Mason needs to be in prison. I, I don't necessarily want to see the guy imprisoned, but I do want to see him demoted. I, look, in, in no other industry is this level of incompetence accepted. Like if I go to work and I make mistakes every single week, at some point, I'm going to be held accountable for those mistakes. At some point, I'm going to be in hot water. At some point, people are going to question whether I'm good enough or not to do the job. Why is it any different at this elite level of football? Uh, Luke says, I hate the we didn't deserve to win the game anyway argument. It's a highly competitive league and sometimes you need to ride your luck. Doesn't take away from the decision. Agreed. And and let's let's go on to Arsenal's performance then. Let's, let's do a little bit of a breakdown on um on sort of how things went because it, it wasn't a great performance from Arsenal, right? I don't think anybody in their right mind can deny that. You know, Brentford were very, very good. And that's why in my tweet, even though I was ranting and raving and really unhappy and annoyed, I, I wanted to point out the fact that I wasn't taking anything away from Brentford because I thought they came and did a really, really good job on us. And there is a bit of an argument right now and there is a bit of a debate as to whether or not Mikel Arteta's Arsenal have been figured out. You know, when you think about sort of the performance at Everton and you think about how easy it was for Everton to nullify us and limit us to very little, and then you look at how Brentford then came to the Emirates Stadium a week later and did a very, very similar thing, albeit with a different formation and a different system. I think it's fair to start to ask questions as to whether or not Arsenal have been found out and whether or not we need to change things up. So, for those of you listening on audio, you may want to switch to the YouTube video and skip to 22 minutes and 40 seconds if you want to see the visual uh, graphics that I'm bringing up here, or that my tactical board, as I like to call it. I will explain it as best as I possibly can, but if you do want to see it, um, then now's the time to jump over to the YouTube version. Brentford changed their system. They played last weekend with a back four. Aaron Hickey played. Josh De Silva played, um, and I, I'm trying to think who the other one was. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. I, I know they made three changes. Um, they made three changes, and they changed their formation. And I was sitting next to a colleague from BBC Radio London, uh, Billy Reeves, who's a, a Brentford man, covers the club, has done for many, many years. And when we were talking before the kickoff, he said that Mads Rurslev had come in on the right-hand side because of his defensive solidarity. Um, and he talked about the fact that 
you know, this is such a really well-drilled Brentford side and switching back to a back three wasn't a surprise to him. He expected it and he thought that that's what they would do to try and limit Arsenal to very, very little. So if you look at the graphic on the screen now, you can see Brentford with a back three, couple of wing backs, three in midfield, and then Tony and Mbwemo started the game as the forwards. Now, every time Bukayo Saka received the ball on the right-hand side, he was doubled up on. Every single time. Every time Martinelli received it on the left, the same was happening over there. But what Brentford did incredibly well, and I think they deserve loads and loads of praise for, is not just the doubling up on our wingers, because that is basic. That is defending 101. Dangerous player, double up on him. That is what you do. That is not a masterstroke. That is not exactly genius. But what he did really, really well, and what he set them up to do really, really well, was even when they were doubling up on uh, Saka and on Martinelli, he ensured that this space here, you know, as we call it, the half space on both sides, there you go, was really, really well protected. Those two areas there are key. What Arsenal have done really, really well this season is that when people have doubled up on our wingers and when people have looked to kind of force us into those wide positions and then try to box us in, we've been able to play our way through into those half spaces and we've been able to use the likes of Martin Odegaard and Granit Xhaka on the other side to impact the game. Add to that that Zinchenko comes into midfield, it allows Granit Xhaka to go that bit further and then Arsenal have uh, a much more uh, attacking forward line. You know that Odegaard's going to do it anyway and you end up essentially a lot of the time with a front five. But for Brentford to be able to manage that all game, it's not just about the back five. The three in front of them have to be incredibly aware and incredibly competent and very, very close to uh, the, the back five. It's all about playing in between the lines. That's what Arsenal seek to do. But in Brentford's players being really close, the, the three midfield players I'm talking about being on top of the back five, the space in between the lines is minimal. And so even when as a, an attacking side, you manage to work the ball into those spaces in between the lines, you're closed down immediately. You don't have time on the ball. You haven't got time to control it. And only on a few occasions did Arsenal manage to do this. And only on a few occasions did Arsenal manage to create chances out of it. Brentford's defensive setup was 10 out of 10. And I knew, if I'm being completely honest, from 10 minutes into the game, that we were going to have a hard afternoon. I really, really did. And that's why when we scored, this kind of outpour of relief came out only for us to then end up being pegged back off the back of a disappointing decision. Now, at the time, when I didn't know that uh, Christian Norgard was offside, I did come away from the game thinking we didn't play very well today. Brentford did a fantastic number on us, created, what, three fantastic chances in the first half, one in the second. I actually looked at it and went, you know what, maybe we were slightly fortunate to even get a point today based on the way the game went. Anyway, you go further forward, you find out what you find out and, and that's difficult to take. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Brentford were fantastic. And despite me spending the best part of 20 minutes ranting and raving about refereeing and the VAR, at no point do I want to take anything away from a really good Brentford side. Seventh in the table, 
for a reason. Fantastically coached, lots of brilliant players that have been brought in on a budget. They are the benchmark. They are the model for so many of the smaller sized clubs because they have done everything to perfection. And they deserve loads of praise for that. But not only were they super sort of solid defensively, they had an incredible threat on the counter-attack. And to be able to be that deep and to be able to keep your midfield that close to your defence, but also create situations going forward of your own, you need to be incredibly hardworking. And the key word that Mikel Arteta had used to describe them in the build-up to this game was efficient. And that's exactly what Brentford are. Now, there were occasions where Arsenal were trying, obviously, to force the issue. Ben White had stepped up as well. And so our centre-backs would squeeze forward in the way that they normally do. And Brentford would get the ball at the back. And instead of, you know, trying to play their way out, instead of trying to carry the ball forward, they knew what their limitations were. They knew how they could get the ball from defence to attack very, very quickly. And they'd play a long ball up towards Ivan Tony, who would then challenge with either Gabriel or William Saliba. And listen, I'm not a big fan of Ivan Tony. I don't like the way he carries himself in certain, uh, you know, in, cer- in certain situations. I don't like the whole, you know, kick about with the boys thing and, and that going back and forth. I, I don't like that. But you have to give him his dues. He's a fantastic player. And he was brilliant yesterday. Absolutely brilliant. He won so many duels against Gabriel and Saliba. Now, I haven't even looked up the stats. I don't need to because my eyes tell me that. I saw that. But he won so many duels. And what he then was able to do was bring in uh, the likes of Brian and Buemo into the game, who would get up close to him or make the run beyond him at times. And also the other player that used to get up, that was getting up and helping a lot was Rico Henry. And often they'd cause us a problem on the break. So this wasn't just a let's come and shut up shop performance from Brentford. This was more than that. This was let's shut up shop when we need to, but let's also be brave when we need to be. And let's be, um, you know, let's be bold in, in what we're trying to do. On top of that, I think that when you sort of look at the personnel they've got, obviously that's that's perfect for what they want to do, but they also kept their calm. They kept their cool. You know, they went a goal down eventually, which was probably coming at that point in the game, but was undeserved, I would argue, on the overall um, on the overall balance of play. But they go a goal down and Thomas Frank doesn't panic. He doesn't try and change the system. He doesn't say, oh my God, I need to go to a 4-3-3. He doesn't do any of that, Thomas Frank. He looks at it and he goes, this system is working. It's worked really well today. We're unfortunate that we're behind. And he makes two like-for-like changes. He brings on Josh De Silva and he brings on Johan Visser. Bit more energy, bit of fresh legs. And obviously Brentford eventually get their equaliser, albeit an illegal one. The point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, Arsenal weren't at their best, but let's not pretend that Brentford didn't do a fantastic job on us because they did. It was really top-notch. It really, really was. They were aggressive. They were physical. Um, they did so much right. And and Thomas Frank has so many reasons to be proud of his team. When I talk about Arsenal maybe being found out, I t- I'm talking about this thing that I highlighted a little bit earlier on about how effective we were in sort of utilising the half spaces and 
creating overloads and essentially then having a free man in that area of the park from which we could do damage. And, you know, that comes from bringing lots of players forward and, and occupying certain areas. And we keep talking about that front five that Arsenal very much morph into when they're in attacking positions. Bear with me. I beg your pardon, the throat is starting to tingle now. Um, but yeah, look, that's what I mean about us being found out a little bit. Like we, we're trying to utilise the same areas over and over again. And what kept happening yesterday was we'd receive the ball sort of around about the corner of the penalty area and we'd put crosses in from a slightly different angle. But when you don't have that profile of striker, it's very difficult to make use of that. Often we saw Granite Xhaka coming in at the far post in the first half um, as part of that front five that I talk about. And often, you know, you want to get him or Odegaard into those positions so that they can potentially cut it back for people. Xhaka did it very well in the first half for Martinelli and he volleyed it over the crossbar, etc., etc. Um, But yeah, it's it's becoming a little bit predictable. I don't know if it's because I watch it every single week and I analyse it every single week, but for me, it's becoming a little bit predictable. And without the alternative of, you know, when we can't break a tee down, putting the ball in the box and having the people to compete for it aerially, I feel, I feel like we're going to struggle. I feel like people have worked us out and I feel like there is a blueprint now as to how to stop Arsenal. It's interesting because Thomas Frank in his press conference was asked if he'd watched the Everton game and he said no, like he saw bits of it, but that wasn't what he based his analysis. Thomas Frank based his analysis on the games that we played against them previously. And he said that he looked at the Newcastle game um, as to how to nullify us. And yeah, we, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've struggled in the last couple of games. There's no denying that. Look, a positive is obviously that Leandro Trossard got his first goal. Um, came on to have that impact and had that impact. Like You can't knock him. He did what he was brought on to do, popping up at the far post. But that was one of the few times that Arsenal managed to get beyond their men and and make something happen. Saka gets beyond his man. Wonderful ball across the face of the box. And for the first time, pretty much all afternoon, the overload worked. Trossard was the overload coming in at the far post and he just steered it goalwards. Brilliant. Um but yeah, I'm, I am a little bit worried. I'm a little bit concerned by the fact that it feels like people have started to work out what it is that we do effectively. And has this shone a light a little bit on the limitations that Eddie Nketiah has? Probably. I don't think at any point any of us thought that Eddie Nketiah was as good as Gabriel Jesus. You know, we've been happy with what Eddie Nketiah has done overall, I would say, and I would argue. But he just doesn't have that ability to attract two, three players at a time in the way that Jesus does. And that, when you're playing a, a low block like the one we faced yesterday, can be a bit problematic because Jesus, if he does receive the ball in between the lines, you know that he's going to get three or four players swarming around him. And if he can pop it off left or right, you know that's going to create space for someone else. But also, I was I was thinking about this sort of when I was sitting in Arteta's press conference. And I did want to ask this question, but I didn't get the chance. We can sit there and we can talk about the tactics and we can say that, yeah, you know, it is becoming a little bit predictable, as it does with all good teams. And so there is a responsibility and an onus on us to find different ways. 
How much of that is down to the manager in terms of him finding different ways and drilling them in different ways on the training ground? And how much of that is down to the individual players? Because I, when I used to play football, and look, granted, it was never at Premier League level, I used to want to find solutions for myself. And I think there are a lot of players in world football that, that do that, that want to find solutions from themselves. And sometimes those solutions can be taking on your man, being bold and brave in your approach, not just getting it, looking in front of you, seeing the limited space and going backwards in order to recycle possession from fear of losing the ball. People like, um, you know, people like uh, Alexis Sanchez are a great example of this. Yeah, sometimes you'll accuse them of giving the ball away too much, but it's because they're constantly trying to find solutions and it only needs them to find the solution once to beat a man, to get into that bit of space and then to, to find the back of the net. And I just look at Saka sometimes and I look at Martinelli sometimes and I look at Odegaard and everybody in that front five. And I think one of you needs to take the game by the balls. One of you needs to take the game by the scruff of the neck. I remember in the Man United game, Saka did it with that fantastic goal that he scored. Where he picked the ball up on the right. There was nowhere to go. And he went, you know what? F it. I'm going to take this on myself. And he cut inside and he had that shot and he found the bottom corner. Sometimes you need players to do that. And so... We can obsess about the tactics, and I think the tactics have become a little bit predictable. So there is a responsibility on the coach to find alternative solutions. But also we need to be looking at these players as individuals to be able to find ways of winning games and find ways of getting over the line. And we haven't really got that often enough, I don't think. But yeah, look, it is what it is. Manchester City play later today. I'd like to think that they're going to drop points, but I'm not going to bank on that because of the fact that, um, you know, it, it's Aston Villa. I think City will probably actually be quite fired up based on what's happening with them at the moment. We'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see. Look, they can close the gap. And, you know, we got away with it last weekend. I think it's a lot to ask to get away with it a second weekend. But then we've got that big game coming up on Wednesday. Again, for me, you know, we can sit here and we can obsess. It's not about being perfect. You don't have to be perfect to win a Premier League title. The fact that City and Liverpool have been perfect in recent years has almost conditioned us to think that that's the only way it can be done. If the teams around you are not perfect, you don't have to be perfect. You only have to be better than them. And so, you know, even if we see the gap closed, uh, you know, today and then City, you know, get a point at the Emirates, for example, on Wednesday, I'm not going to lose the faith because there are lots of twists and turns. As I say, we're not perfect, but neither are Manchester City this season. Can they put a run together? We know they're capable of it. And I think that's where a lot of our fear of crumbling stems from. But there's a long way to go. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns. And we got to stick with the team. Credit to the crowd yesterday, because even when it wasn't going well, I thought the crowd was so brilliant behind the team. You know, that noise when the goal went in, the noise in the build-up to the goal as well was so key. And I love all that. And listen, I know people are going to say, oh, we bottled it and this and that if we do end up falling away. But for me, this Arsenal side have surpassed everybody's expectations. This, what we're seeing now, is not a crumbling. What we're seeing now, you know, dropping a couple of points against a very well-drilled Brentford side losing away at an Everton side with the new manager bounce and all of that at Goodison Park. This is not Arsenal crumbling. This is Arsenal, maybe if you want to argue something, levelling out a little bit. And those of you that have listened to this podcast 
for a while will know that I've said throughout the duration of this season that at some point we are going to level out a little bit. The way we did, we went through the first half of the season, picking up 50 points, that is not sustainable because we're not at that place in our journey yet. You know, we're not at the level that Manchester City were two and three seasons ago. We're not at the level that Liverpool were yet, where they were challenging for the title, missing out by a point, etc., etc. We've been great, but we're not there yet. We're not at that point on our journey yet. So Arsenal dropping a few points here and there. It's a levelling out, not a crumbling. And, and that's how fans need to look at it. Anwesh says, and thank you very much for your kind donation, mate. I think Jorginho should play as a double pivot alongside Partey now. Jorginho can keep possession and Partey can get a little freedom as box-to-box. Jesus is needed. Martinelli's game is affected by Enketia. I agree with his game not being as efficient with obviously Enketia up front. It's different. I also don't think Zinchenko is helping us at the moment um, in the last couple of games. I'll talk about that actually in a minute. Same with Ben White. Um, Partey, I just think he's so secure in his position. I wouldn't move him personally. Unless Xhaka really needs a rest, then maybe I'd do it. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not in agreement with the Jorginho coming in. He, he's back up to me. That's what he always was. And he's a he's an alternative in the event that someone's unavailable, but he's not a starter for me. Um, but that's just my view. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Georgie, uh, Georgie, Zinchenko, because I did want to touch on that, actually. Had a conversation with my dad about this on the way home from the game yesterday. Um, also, though, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. What are you waiting for? Like, subscribe, really, really does help. Um, Zinchenko. Is he affecting Martinelli's game a little bit at the moment? Has he affected... Granite Xhaka's game in recent weeks. I feel like with Zinchenko, if I go back to the Man United game, I thought he was really good in the second half, but not very good in the first half. I thought against Everton, he was really ineffective in terms of what he is in the team to do, which is to progress the ball, break lines, go into spaces to then free up other people. I didn't think he did that anywhere near good enough against Everton. And yesterday... I don't really see what he brought to the team either. Now, this is not me slating him. I just think that when you come up against the low, if I bring up this this graphic again, one second. Um, hold on a second. Let me just share the screen again. What am I doing? Just present, share screen. There we go. Hear me out here. You might be thinking this is nonsense, but hear me out here. So when you come up against a, a back five like this, right? What we tried to do with Zinchenko and his position in field and Ben White, who also, yeah, does go on the overlap, but does come in field a bit as well. What we are trying to do is we're trying to create the overloads in the half spaces. We're trying to create the overloads in field. That won't always work. And it certainly doesn't work against a team like Brentford, who were, you know, really kind of aware of that did a lot of work to prevent that. Their midfielders tucked in, made it very, very difficult. So then the alternative is to try and create those overloads in the wide areas, surely. If you're not having any joy in the middle, surely the, the alternative and the thing that you look to next is to try and create those overloads 
in the wide areas. And for years and years and years, we've seen football teams do that. Utilise their fullbacks on the overlap, get in behind teams, get in and around teams, get to the byline, cut the ball back, pick people out, etc., etc. But there seems to be a reluctance to do that or an inability to do that right now because of the fact that the two players that we're playing at fullback are very inverted in their nature. Or, or is that the right word? Yeah. They, they want to come in field all the time because they're both probably by trade central minded players. So maybe a Kieran Tierney yesterday would have been a solution. Maybe someone that could go out and help Martinelli cope with the doubling up or help Saka on the other side cope with the doubling up was just what the doctor ordered, like just what we needed. And I think that we have to think about this and I think that we have to consider this because you know, I'm not saying that what we've done so far has been no good and, and all of that. You know, it's been brilliant. Let's be honest. It's been fantastic. And and we are where we are as a result of this system working very, very well. And as of, of our team being incredibly efficient and incredibly useful, et cetera, et cetera. But there is an argument that says at the same time, we've got to be able to change it up a little bit. And we've got the options. So maybe that's something we need to explore. But yeah, I did have this conversation yesterday about the fact that, yes, it's great that we create the spaces in field because you're closer to goal. But sometimes against certain opponents, it is a bit of a game of chess. And perhaps the right thing to do is to then focus on going on the outside um, and, uh, and and to try and make it work that way. I don't know. Look, I'm not going to take questions just because my throat is going again. Um, I've managed to get through 45 minutes with just a couple of pauses to cough. Here comes another one, which I'm proud of, uh, given that I'm in a bad way at the minute. Uh, we will be back hopefully tomorrow, um, as long as everything's good and I'm feeling okay. And then we'll do a larger chunk on the questions section. But those are my thoughts on this game. Have Arsenal become a little bit predictable? Maybe. Do we need to change it up a little bit? Maybe. Um, there's certainly a case for both of those things. VAR is a disgrace. Lee Mason is a disgrace. Incompetent is, is a polite way of putting what Lee Mason is at the moment. And um, we have every right to feel aggrieved and hard done by. But as I say, let's see how we get on on Wednesday. That's where the focus needs to be now. Hard to not get caught up on a decision like that, but you kind of have to be able to put it to one side. Focus on City, who, you know, yes, have loads more threat than a lot of these teams that we... Uh, you know, have struggled against in recent weeks, but also won't play in the way uh, that has caused us problems over the last couple of weeks. So maybe, maybe that's a game that we're a little bit more suited to. I don't know. We'll see how that pans out. But what I do know is it's a huge, huge game. And what I also know is that we'll all be Aston Villa fans and Unai Emery fans uh, this afternoon. Thank you all so, so much as always for tuning in. Thank you for bearing with me while I cough my guts out. Uh, every few minutes. I really, really appreciate it. I will see you all soon. And uh, until next time, take care. All the best. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.